Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2 with me, Neil Mantle, and as always, former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. So, England and the West Indies drew the first test in Antigua, but at what cost? We'll review that. We'll ask what changes both sides could or should make and look ahead to Wednesday's second test in Barbados, live and exclusive here on Talksport 2. We'll also look back at a disastrous Women's World Cup campaign for England so far. And it's a special anniversary. Harmy's career best, career defining figures of 7 for 12 happened at Sabina Park in Jamaica on this day 18 years ago. So that's good enough reason to revisit and re enjoy the moment. Plenty to discuss over the next hour. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on Talksport 2. Well, Harmy, we've had uh, a day and a half to uh, contemplate the first Test match. Obviously, the pitch was uh, a major talking point, a massive uh, disappointment that uh, it was so flat. But um, your reflections now that uh, you've had a couple of nights to sleep on it? Um, I thought England performed very, very well <clears throat> when you left the UK on in the middle of February. There were question marks on character. There was question marks on the team I think that one's still jury out there. But the character that this lot showed, the biggest thing I wanted to see was them not to roll over and be soft. And I think in the recent past against against India, especially against Australia, we rolled over and getting our bellies tickled many, many times. And for me, I thought that character was brilliant. From 46 for four, could easily have been 130 all out. And then when the wheels were off with Overton and Wokes, 40 odd, 44 for none at tea at lunchtime on day one after uh, on day two after 10 overs. That could have been a massive number trying to wrestle the game back without the two greats of Broad and Anderson. So I think the character that was shown was was fantastic. 300s in the first in the top six, another tick in the box of you know the, the reset starting and trying to 
to make sure that you know England play the longer format game with going back to basics. I thought that was yeah admirable, and I thought they were they've set themselves a, a nice little foundation there. The bowling question marks will always be, and so I'm not trying to have a go at Wilkes or Overton at all. Two first-class experienced characters. Wilkes has played quite a bit of cricket, but when you look at it, and it's I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, but in the last 30-odd years, you look at the opening bowling partnerships that England have had that have been very, very successful. You can you look at Goff and Caddick, Armisen Hoggard, Broad Anderson, and even before that, both and Willis. I'm not sure Wokes and Overton are going to have too many teams around the world losing night sleeps before test matches. So I think I thought, I thought Wokes looked as though he was under pressure. And that's natural because he, he probably is. He might only have one more chance to, to sort of wrestle that back. I thought Overton got better as the test match went on without really looking hugely amount of threatening on a, on a docile pitch. Jack Leakes has bowled brilliantly. He's bowled fantastic. He bowled wonderfully well. He got five wickets in a test match. He, hold, he held an, an end and control with the wind that was helping him. Everything went in his favour and I'm pleased for Jack. Test will be now, can he back that up and go and win a game for England on a on a fourth or fifth year. So I think all signs of the, the reset is positive. And I think when we go to, when we now come to Barbados, hopefully there'll be a bit, little bit more life in the wicket. The worry for me is, well, another worry is Mark Wood. The worry for me from that is, what have we got in our bowling ranks that can make us have something different, a, a varied attack and a balanced attack that can go and take 20 wickets? Because even though the pitch was slow, there was times where obviously nobody was threatening on that surface. So we didn't, it'll be interesting to see how the, the, the dynamics of the bowlers are picked and how they work in Barbados. All right, we'll come on to the bowlers uh, in a bit more detail in a moment. Let's just remind ourselves of uh, what Joe Root thought about the team's overall performance over five days. Really proud of the team today. Um, I think, the, well, throughout the week, actually, you know, from that first hour, we found ourselves in a tricky spot. I think the character we showed... The, the skill level, the, the calm nature about it, especially off the back of the previous tour, to not panic um, and to get ourselves back in the game. A brilliant innings from Johnny, uh, ably assisted by a couple of guys down the order. But throughout the game, I think we got better and better. Um, on a very docile wicket for our seamers to, to apply themselves as they did, I thought Leachy was brilliant as well. Gave us great options in the first innings, holding, holding the game really well and then, you know, obviously taking wickets today. Uh, I can't fault any of the efforts of anyone. Zach to play how he did as well was a magnificent knock. So we're really pleasing. A lot of good signs going into the rest of the series. England captain Joe Root with good reason to be proud of uh, many aspects of his t- team's performance. Homie, uh, Joe's decision to, to play the entire final hour, in fact, not to agree to shake hands on the draw until there were only five balls left and six wickets required, that's uh, prompted some strong reaction um, in the Caribbean. Um, Carlos Brathwaite led the way on TV commentary, saying that it was disrespectful to the West Indies and England wouldn't have done the same had it been an Ashes test. I, I must say that uh, much as it would have been nice to uh, to wrap up an hour early, I'm, I'm pretty ambivalent about it. So, yeah, Joe pushed it as late as possible until it was absolutely fundamentally mathematic, math, mathematically impossible to win the test match. I mean, I guess he could have said, uh, said, all right, then we'll call it a draw, you know, half an hour earlier. But do you have any strong feelings about that? I have a very strong feeling of what Carlos Brathwaite said. 
I thought what he said was a disgrace. I really do. It was weird, and wasn't it? India, India bowled West Indies out for 20, in 26 overs not long ago. 26 overs, India took 10 wickets. That was the top order all the way through, bang, 10 wickets. There's a lot to go on this, which I found it very, very baffling by the comments. Don't get me wrong. If they'd shook hands half an hour earlier, I'd have been over the moon. I was commentating on something. I'd like going nowhere. But I don't have a problem. I had a problem with Ben Stokes bowling. A real problem with that. I thought that was madness. But Jack Leach was going all right. You've got to remember, we've just been battered by Australia. Some of our bowlers are trying to get... If Jack Leach had, gets Jason Holder out, then all of a sudden you get the silver out. There's, a, there's, there's, there's psychological mind games played here as well. It's like a snooker. It's like a snooker player going in to a nine-frame, you know, first to nine match and have, needing eight snookers, nine snookers on, on the first frame. He doesn't always chuck it in. He goes and pops some balls. He gets used to being on the table. Now, I know England have been on there for five days, but when you look at it, quite conceivable that England could have took, if they got Holder out, it's quite conceivable England could have took five wickets in three and a half overs, four overs. You've just got to look at the shot Campbell and Blackwood played. You know, the, the, way the, the way the mentality is of the West Indian batsmen quite comfortably could have, could have knocked them over. So, as well as, who has got a God-given right to say, right, the game should be finished now? It's up to the captain and the man in the middle. You know, Jack Leach is bowling nicely. He might never have won the game. But all of a sudden, if Jack Leach picks up a couple of wickets, gets a five-foot off the back of what he's had in Australia, that would have been huge for Jack going into Barbados and into. So Joe was well within his right to carry on with that game. But no yeah. problem with that. The problem I had was, well, eight overs to go, he needed to send Ben Stokes off the field and one of the management had needed to lock him in the toilet because just it was madness what he was doing. And I know that was Ben. I know that was Ben. I don't think that was Joe. And it's very, very difficult. I played in an era with a, another all-rounder, exactly the same as that. I had, after the game, spoke to Sir Andrew Strauss and we were talking about what Freddie used to do. And as a captain, sometimes it's... You are you you are hapless. That you just you just got to let him go. Fortunately, he didn't get injured, which is great. But what Carlos said, and that was wrong because I, 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 Joe was well within his right, no problem at all. Yeah, I just had yeah. a problem who was who he was actually using. That was the thing. Yeah, you make a good analogy actually when uh, you decide to carry on potting a few balls when you've already lost the frame in snooker. So that that's a good analogy. I like that. Let's just remind ourselves. What Sir Kirtley Ambrose, who we're delighted to uh, say was uh, part of our commentary team, uh, what he had to say about the condition of the pitch. Tony Merrick and his crew should have left more live grass on the surface, add some more water to it so you have a bit more moisture. And I've seen those types of pitches here in local cricket where the ball bounce and carry with good pace quite often. So it's not that they can't do it. But what I find, as soon as they mention test match cricket, they tend to just take all the grass off, hardly any water in the surface. They can do better and should have done better. I am very disappointed with the surface for test match cricket. After the first hour on the first day, that was it really. That was Sir Curtly Ambrose who joined us here on Ball by Ball Commentary on TalkSport 2 uh, from his uh, home nation of Antigua. Um, and those sentiments were echoed by the West Indies uh, coach, Phil Simmons. They uh, want a bit more life, a bit more live grass on the pitch um, for the second Test match in Barbados and hopefully in Grenada as well. We're looking back at England's draw against the West Indies in Antigua. 
ahead of Wednesday's second test in Barbados with every ball live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. And of course, the great Barry Wilkinson will be uh, leading the ball by ball from his home nation of uh, Barbados. And he joins us now, live now. Um, Barry, so f- tell us how the draw went down in the Caribbean in the first test. Well, I think these days where West Indies test cricket is concerned, people consider a draw to be almost a victory because we haven't been doing well in test cricket. The last time we would have won uh, a series was when perhaps England was here in 2019. So um, it's been tough. They lost in England uh, in 2020. Uh, they won in Bangladesh, but you all, we all know that uh, that's a team that's perhaps not perhaps not rated as higher as them. So they will want to beat into England and the Australias and the New Zealand, which was a dreadful tour. So to, to, to draw um, in the first test, I think, was perhaps a good sign. And everyone is quite excited and looking forward to, to the next test, which will be here in, in Barbados on Wednesday. I remember, Barry, many years ago, in fact, uh, almost 30 years ago, Tony Merrick was one of the fastest, meanest, fieriest fast bowlers um, I've, I've ever seen. Um, and and it just <laughs> it amused me in many ways that uh, he should put to today's generation of fast bowlers through such misery as the head groundsman by preparing such a, a flat pitch. But then I've got another theory that perhaps it was a, what they called an administrator's pitch. I think maybe maybe the administrators wanted as much airtime on television as possible to show the world that the Caribbean is open for business once again. <laughs> and, and there were lots of shots of, uh, of, of beautiful oceans and, and, and yachts and, and tourists and the Barmy Army. So um, maybe, maybe they wanted it to go five days at the cost of a, of a victory. I, I don't know. Look, people were critical of the pitch. I'm not so sure that the pitch had a lot to do with the draw. I think the draw was because we saw some resilient cricket. England were 27 for four on the first day. Uh, had it not been that Bearstow century, they could have been cat scraddled. Uh, the West Indies were also in trouble. Bonner put his head down. He batted well. The West Indies were also in a little spot of bother with four wickets down going into the, to the final session. And in fact, Joe Root felt so confident that he could have, could have won the game still. He carried it down to when uh, balls and wickets were, were no longer an issue. So I'm not so sure the pitch had a, a major reason or it was that flat. I just think we saw some resilient cricket and some good comeback batting. But we are so accustomed in test cricket these days to seeing uh, victories. You hardly see draws that every time there's a draw, it comes across as if, like, it's the pitch, it's the pitch. England could have been in trouble. West Indies were in trouble. And they all fought themselves uh, out of some very, very serious problems in the test in the test match. I couldn't believe the pitch was stayed together as it did. I seen it at four thirty the day before the game, and the cracks on it. So he's injected that with something to make that as flat as it was, because I we were couldn't believe that the pitch didn't break up. I think the pitch had a huge part to play in the fact there was a draw, but it was also the fact that both spinners weren't massive turners of the ball. No Shannon Gabriel, Mark Wood got injured. That didn't help either side. Um, where are you? Where's the West Indies when it comes to their spin department? Because the Sammy Pomol, I think England did a job on him second innings. I think they realised what he was. Very good first-class bowler, but struggle in Test match cricket. Is that the area that the West Indies need to improve and possibly have to look at their side going forward to Barbados? Yes, because Vasami Pomol, for all intents and purposes, in my opinion, has been a, what you call a regional bully. He picks up wickets uh, consistently in, in regional first-class cricket. 
But when given the opportunity, the majority of the times, I don't think he has been as penetrative. Uh, Rakeem Cornwall, not quite sure about his fitness, uh, but I don't think he would do much on this Kenzie Noble pitch. The person that they should have been looking at and they have ignored is Roston Chase. You remember Roston Chase got eight wickets to win the game the last time in 2019. And he also will fill in that hole batting at number five or six, because I don't think that Jason Holder batting at six can, can somewhat be a little creepy uh, based on how erratic the West Indies uh, batting could be. I, I would have favored Roston Chase to be the, the spinner in the team. And you could have used, of course, the, the same fast bowlers that you have if you had Roston batting at number six and you don't need a Versami for more. Uh, Roston would have turned the ball a, a bit bigger. And I think he's a bit more crafty a spin bowler uh, than Versami Pramol, who bowled very flat, very low. He almost, like if he was bowling defensively, he doesn't try, didn't try to get many wickets and the pitch didn't help. But I thought Jack Leach showed him in the second innings how you can really bowl on, on a wicket like that and produce some, some, uh, some you know, get some returns. So I'm, I'm really hoping the test, uh, of course, the test uh, squad has been unchanged, but I think they've made a great error in not picking Roston Chase. I don't know if Pramal would play in this test. I'm thinking that they might be tempted to just perhaps let the captain do the spinning and uh, they might give a berth to Anderson Phillip to just put some more potency in that pace attack. Any question marks on the batting? Because if you look at, uh, I thought Nakuma Bono was absolutely fantastic. Both innings, I thought he was fantastic. Defence was solid. Did the short ball very, very well. Didn't hit the ball off the front foot, but he wasn't looking to do that. Any question marks on the way John Campbell got out straight after his captain got out? And then I've got no idea what your vice captain was doing. I really don't. I can't just, guys, there's a brain, brain fade and there's brain fits. So and if he's your vice captain, is there any, would there be any question marks on their decision making? Well, John Campbell and uh, Jermaine Blackwood, both uh, Jamaicans, they have batted that way for the time they made their debuts. You look at John Campbell, made his debut against England in 2019, batted the same way. Blackwood, ironically, should really be playing 50 over in T20 cricket because I don't think his temperament has suited test cricket. And that has shown repeatedly, uh, yet still, they made him vice-captain for a good series in 2020. But his temperament, I don't think, is going to change. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't change him now. It's, it's way, way too late to change Jermaine Blackwood. And because of these vice-captains, it's also making it difficult not to squeeze him out of the final 11. Hopefully... You know, we saw him win games for the West Indies against England. You remember that game he, he won? He won two games for the West Indies against England here at Kensington Oval. He also had a pretty important role to play when they went at, uh, at Yorkshire. So he's had some really important knocks for the West Indies yeah, against Sri Lanka. But when you look at his overall record and how he gets out, he always gives his wicket away, especially when you want him to stand up and bat. He's playing in this series again. He's been, char- he's been picked and he's been charged with the uh, selection of vice captain, so I don't think that will change. But he has to change his temperament. I don't see it, but I, I think the West Indies selectors will be looking and saying and having a very stern word with him that he has to be more responsible as vice captain if he's going to continue in that role in the team. And Krumar Bonner was amazing, Barry. Just a fantastic story, making his debut ten years ago, almost uh, falling off the radar of the game, having to go and play club cricket in the United States and. Apparently, you know, he, he was having to work on a um, carrying bricks on a on a building site just to to make ends meet. And he's now become yeah. that man that the West Indies have needed for the last 25 years. You know, sort of Larry Gomes, Shiv Chandrapal, the rock around which the other players can play. But he's he's 32 going on 33 now, isn't he? But 
Um, you're fa facing almost 500 deliveries and just looked so immovable. Brilliant story. Yeah, perseverance never fails. Uh, he made his debut at 18 in regional cricket. And uh, Chris Gale, I remember um, when he made his debut, Chris Gale was saying he was to be the next star of West Indies cricket. Uh, he was up there with the, 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 the Gales at that particular time. I mean, Chris is about, what, uh, seven, eight years older than him. But he was up there with them. He was thought to be a bit, a bit of a, almost a prodigy. Uh, he, was, he was really good at, on the 19 level. But he just lost his way. He got picked in 2011 in ODI and T20 cricket. But no one ever saw him in the mold as, a, as a, perhaps a, the kind of cricket that he's playing now, which is very steady uh, with his head on, playing a lot of balls and not scoring a lot of runs. He was not that kind of cricketer when he made his debut. So I think he's, he's been very, you know, he's persevered. He's changed his game and he's adapted to what the situation requires, which is someone who can bat a lot of balls for West Indies. And, and the turning point for him came in, in Bangladesh last year. When he made that debut, he got the opportunity to go to Bangladesh because uh, a lot of other players said they were not going because of COVID reasons and the bubble or what have you. He said, look, I'll go. And he went, he got 100. He batted really well and he has not shut the door since. So I think he's here to stay. He hasn't, well, if he continues to play at this uh, level, he can play another five, six years and still still have a good record uh, in, in his late 30s. He's what West Indies cricket needs in terms of test cricket. A little bit of a Craig Braffitt in him, uh, but he's perhaps just had his head, his head on. He can play those shots, but he has done well for West Indies because he's, he's what, what we needed at this particular stage. So what are we expecting in Barbados, Barry? Um, you, you, you hinted at uh, West Indies maybe playing a, a five-man pace attack. Is that, is that, do you see a bit more live grass, a bit more help for the bowlers? That's what we're hearing. Um, there's also the possibility of playing Mears, Kyle Mears, who could come in and bat at six as well, six as well and also skid the ball. We saw Kyle Mears uh, when he played against South Africa. You would have seen him against South Africa. He got some important wickets. We saw him against the Sri Lankans. He did the same thing. And I, I think it has felt that, look, this, he's a, a batsman. He's got a double century in test cricket in Bangladesh. He also can bowl pretty skinny. He gives an option. And the option, I think, might be a better one now than what we're seeing with Rosami Pomal. Craig Bathur, if he needs to, can, can bowl some spin. And the West Indies will be fancying themselves with a, perhaps a more uh, a front-line pace attack than a spinner because the spinners have not really stepped up to the plate. So I won't be surprised if Mears or even Anderson Phillip comes in. I don't see Pomal playing on this track. What about the crowd, Barry? There's a lot of talk about, like we had in Barbados, one island, five T20s. Do you see that potentially going longer term for the longer format of the game? And how do you get the locals in? Because there wasn't many in Antigua. There's going to be eight, they reckon there's going to be eight, that. well, trust me, the hotel I'm in at the minute, there are a lot of English people in and around Barbados. There is a lot, there is a lot of English fans over here. So... How do you get the locals back into, into the grounds? Uh, I, I've said it a million and one times. Kensington Oval is going to look like Kennington Oval uh, come Wednesday. You're looking at about 8,000 8, fans will be there from England and probably about 2,000 West Indies fans. They've slashed the ticket prices for West Indians, Barbadians actually, to 50% and 75% discount for senior citizens. That's some encouragement to get them come in. Uh, they've also raised, the, uh, you know, it was a 50% in terms of uh, the capacity. That has now been raised to 75% capacity. So they've printed more tickets over the last couple of days. 
And when I went to the ticket centre, I passed by the ticket centre yesterday, there was a long line, but there were English people in the line. Like, there were more English people than locals. So I don't know. I think you're going you're to see, the, you might even see it, it might be worse at Kensington than it was in, in Antigua. I think you're going to see more Brits here than we saw in Antigua. And, and that's, that's just the reality of what's happening. Also, the test starts on a Wednesday in the middle of the week, which will not help the locals any. Let's hope it stretches to the weekend and, and, and we can see some more locals coming over the weekend. But it's going to look pretty much like Kennington on Wednesday, not Kensington, I can assure you. Can't wait to uh, work with you again on, Barry, uh, on uh, Wednesday, Barry. But uh, thanks for your time now and we'll catch up again on Wednesday. I look forward to it. I look forward. I've already got my clothes out and I'm ready. I'll be at the ground sleeping on Tuesday night. Trust me. That was Barry Wilkinson, who'll be uh, one of the lead commentators on Wednesday. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and Double Ashes winner Steve Harmison. We'll have more thoughts on Wednesday's second test in Barbados after the break. But remember, every ball live and exclusive here on TalkSport 2. You're listening to the Cricket Collective with the Institute of Cricket. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados. Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. You're listening to the Cricket Collective here on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. And if you've missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed. Now available via the free TalkSport app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, I said I would uh, talk about more about England's bowlers. I was asking you in the first half, in the first uh, quarter of the programme, Harmy, about Craig Overton and... What it takes, the role of pace, um, you know, we've been saying for many, many decades that you don't have to be a fast bowler to take wickets. But Craig Overton um, looked very ineffective. Um, And we know that in the last two county seasons, he's taken his wickets at 17 and 15. 
And he's taken lots of them in English conditions, bowling at 76, between 76 and 80 miles an hour. He's not quick. He doesn't have pace. He looked unthreatening, it has to be said, in Antigua. So do, do we reach the conclusion or are we heading towards the conclusion that at his pace, he's not going to be a successful test match bowler? I think he can be if he gets them. It's it's the accuracy there, and it just has to be so. Uh, he has to be so meticulous. He has to be on it every ball. He has to bowl that little bit fuller length, like what Ollie Robinson does, um, like what Jason Holder does. The run up, run up, bowl back of a length on these surfaces when there's nothing in them, especially against Test players. They, they pick up length so quickly. That's why they play in Test match cricket. And if you're slightly off, they put it away. They put the bad ball away. And I'm not saying he bowls bad balls, but at his pace, the reaction times of the, the international batsmen are a lot quicker. So that's his challenge. I thought he worked really hard in Antigua. And, and effort was there. He, he, he ran in. He, he, he went to the be the bouncer bowler when Wood went off. We were a bowler short. So it's, it's a hard one. I, I, I think going forward now, I think England have got to pick two from Wilkes, Robinson, because I thought Wilkes had a and in different test matches as well. Though he started poorly and got better as it went on. I really thought Chris Wokes got better as it went on, along with Craig Overton. But I think you're right. Not many people did look effective on that surface, but he's from a, a Pierce point of view, he's got to bowl that little bit fuller in length, try and drag the batsman forward, and he's got to be on it in and around off stump, five balls out of six. There were a few times where you say, we got first-class cricket mentality came into it, Start of an over, bang, four, there you go. Pressure's back on you. Short and wide outside of stump when you've got five, four leg side field. These things are what he needs to, I think, hone it, like, sort of tone in a little bit and make sure that he's, he is so precise every time he starts bowling because the margin forever for him is, is, is so small because of the drop-off in pace. Now, going forward, I look at the group, but Wood's out. And I, I can't see Mark Wood playing any part in the, the rest of this series. If they bring Norwell in from Warwickshire, then is he the similar? Is he similar sort of pace? He might have a little bit more in the tank of eighty plus mile an hour, but he's not Mark Wood. He's not expressed. So, I think you've got two bowlers that we want to have a look at. By all accounts, Young Fisher's a very skillful bowler. He's a taller than Mahmood, and Mahmood's a skiddy bowler trajectory wise, and he's got a but he's got a bit more pace. So, in the course of the next Two games. I'd like to see England pick two from Wokes, Robinson, and Overton, and pick one from Mahmood and Fisher. And if it's as simple as I'd rather play Fisher in Barbados because the ball might bounce a bit more than in Barbados and he's a bit taller, then I'd play Fisher in Barbados and bring Mahmood in for Grenada and then play two from Robinson, Wokes, and Overton. And I think that if England did that, and the top order fires, England leave here, whatever the, whatever the weave here, whether they win the series or they draw the series or lose the series, what they've left the UK for, that for me would work. We've had a look at the bowlers overseas. We've given our two young bowlers a chance, give them a game. Um, and we make our mind up when we get back to the 2nd of June, where we are when it comes to Broad and Anderson. Then I think all of a sudden, some of the question marks that were asked of this selection... Um, they've been answered. So England have uh, pretty much only got three Ferraris 
and you can't keep them in the garage, um, uh, but they're all being serviced at the moment. Jofra Archer, Mark Wood and Ollie Stone are pretty much uh, you, you're only 90 mile an hour plus options. Um, and it was said to me that perhaps they'd all been mismanaged. But as I said, you you can't keep your Ferraris in the garage. Um, you, you can't you know, wrap them up. And uh, and 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 I, I don't know whether they have been mismanaged, have they? I mean, you know, Mark Wood's been when he's fit, he's given his workload. And and if he breaks down, that's part and parcel of the job. No, I, you're right. And I think it's like Ben Stokes. A lot of people question whether before the test match, it was mentioned he's only going to bowl five or <clears throat> less than 10 overs in the test match. And he, he ended up bowling 41 overs. And there's only three test matches. I think that is, he's only bowled more overs in three three other test matches out of 77 test matches he's played. So when you talk about being mismanaged, no, not for me. Not until the last eight overs of the test match. That was when he was mismanaged. Mark Wood, the same. If you're fit to play, you're fit to bowl, and you're fit to, you know, fit to go and challenge the opposition. The only time I thought Mark Wood was mismanaged, I think, was in Australia when the declaration was coming, and Mark Butcher said in commentary, "It's like asking a Ferrari to dig holes for you." And unfortunately, Mark Wood was digging the holes as a Ferrari when you had four of the bowlers who could possibly have bowled when you were you were just waiting for the declaration to come from Australia. So. Is that mismanaged slightly, a little bit? I think it's from a captaincy's point of view, it's common sense. I'm not, I'm not even going to entertain the idea of, of you bowling and wasting energy on this because I need you for further down the line. The one thing about Mark Wood, he's been absolutely fantastic for England. He's challenged the opposition. And he, even when he went into Australia, when England was struggling, he played in all the games and he worked, he worked so hard. And I think that's the frustrating. I know it is because I spoke to him. He's devastated about getting injured because of where his career path's been for the last sort of 12, 18 months. And he's, he was hoping to make sure that he had a, a little bit more in this series, obviously going to the IPL and then really hitting the summer hard. So that's just a little setback for him and for England. So there's just common sense elements in it. Sometimes that comes in when there's some dead overs in the game. You don't want to be bowling your Ferraris. Let's just remind ourselves of what our fellow commentator, Matt Pryor, had to say about uh, the batsmen, some of the batsmen who are coming into Test Match Cricket. The problem for me is that we're, we're getting batsmen delivered at the England dressing room door that aren't ready to play Test Cricket. They don't have a technique that is going to look after them in Test Match Cricket at the highest level. So they, they're being thrown in the deep end, playing international cricket tough enough as it is for reasons off the pitch i.e. media everyone like us talking you know talking about them talking about that technique tearing it to pieces it's hard enough you need to have resilience and belief in in your technique that you you're working with on the pitch and you know too many of them have some basic 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 flaws by the time they get there so you know really it's not about how how long do you give them it's it's actually for me about making sure that guys coming through academies etc etc you know players in county cricket players in ecb academies that's where you learn your craft that's where you learn how to score big runs averaging 30 is not good enough scoring a thousand runs in a county season is not good enough we need, if you want to have success at test match level, you have to be averaging 70. You have to be scoring near on, near Ramcash was scoring 2,000 runs uh, a summer. 
you know, those are the standards that we have to get back to expecting from our batsmen. Now, granted, there will be reasons for it. Poor pitches, different trials with different balls, etc., etc. There will be county batsmen up and down the country right now swearing at me, saying, do you not realise how hard it is? I do, I get it. But that's what you've got to be good enough to deal with it. That's former wicketkeeper and uh, TalkSport 2 commentator Matt Pryor talking about uh, batters' techniques. Um, and do you know what? Um, Alex Lees, we can't cast judgment on him. He, the main reason he's selected is because his technique is sound and it's orthodox and it doesn't have any flappy bits and he looks the part. Um, so, yeah, he made two low scores. That can happen um, to any opener. And um, Zach Crawley and Dan Lawrence played shots they wouldn't have been particularly proud of in the first innings. And Crawley, obviously, <laughs> you know, has redeemed himself with his second Test 100, 19 innings after his first uh, Test 100. Let's hope it's not as long between uh, second and third hundreds. But you know what, Harmy? I, for me, Dan Lawrence played the, possibly the best 37 I've seen from a, a top four batter in the sense that it was so selfless um, and so much in the best interests of the team. Um, so for me, like massive ticks and, and brownie points, he can have the number four spot for the rest of the series and, and the start of the summer as well. Yeah, and we, I'm with you. And what I loved about that innings was we talk about a reset. We talking about 2015 and the mindset of the the One Day Squad and the freedom and the no fear. And yes, you're going to play poor shots. You are, unfortunately. It's 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 the nature of the game of cricket when pressure comes. Um, but I thought that innings was just a. A, a small sample is what I'd like this side to go and do, which is forget individual pressure and frailties that possibly is on and play the game situation. And I thought he played the game situation perfectly. I expected Stokes to come and do that. I didn't expect Lawrence to come in when he did and go and play the way he did because I thought that was just a bit too much to ask for him. But hey, the way he played it, I was so impressed. And it just shows you the kid's got talent and that little move from root to three, just makes it a little bit easier for somebody to come and integrate himself in the side at number four. So that was a tick in the box. Alex Lees, you've got to give him a chance. I think you've got to give him till at least the end of New Zealand series. That would be six test matches. Give him 12 innings, go and open a baton. He got done by a very, very good bowler. Let's be fair. Kimo Roach is one of the very, very best. You talk about Vernon Philander on a, on a pitch with a brand new ball. That didn't really give a great deal, but through the air, the ball was moving laterally. The only time the ball moved laterally was when it was new. And I thought he set him up perfectly. Cross, across, you know, going away from him, sorry, away from him. Waiting for the one just not to swing and maybe jag back off the new newness of the ball and the seam. And I thought he set him up nicely. Worked hard to get there. I think we judge him end of this series, end of New Zealand. Um, and hopefully there's a 50 round the corner in this series or 100. And that will give him a huge amount of confidence going forward. The rest of the batting unit, well, they stood up. I thought Besto was fantastic, along with Stokes. But his little partnership with folks in the first innings, but Ben Folks not only kept well, I thought he kept brilliantly, but I thought that little innings in the first innings, what did he get? He got 40, I think he got 42 in the first innings. He came in, he played two or three great shots down the ground. He just got Johnny going again. And I thought that was a, a nice little tempo of a partnership. And then, like you might mention, Zach, he gets low scores. He plays big shots like Trez, like Marcus Truscothic, the batting coach that's out here at the minute. 
And I'd fire somebody. I'd, I'd much rather have somebody standing there. And if the bowler's offline, bang, four, bang, four. I'm not not interested in somebody that's going to go. You can block it at the other end as much as you want. You know, you can absorb the game. Hamid, Sibley, but if you've got somebody like that, like Zach at the other end, and a bowler strives off length for two or three balls and over, and that over goes for 10 or goes for 12, much rather that than than somebody just defending, defending, defending and digging a hole and putting the rest of the team under pressure. So you're going to have to put up with some low scores as Zach goes through his career, but hopefully we'll see signs of him getting better and improvement and he played a, a brilliant innings. And when you look at the innings he played and you look at the, the Joe Root innings, it's so Joe Root first, I think Joe Root first 204 balls, Zach first 216 balls. I think Zach hit 14 boundaries. I think Joe only hit five. Joe's ability to rotate strike and release pressure with ones and twos. He never got out of second gear, in my opinion, on that on day four. And I think that partnership there was was nice. It was a it was a nice balanced partnership. So hopefully Root at three will help Zach Crawley go if he goes in with him to um to just sort of not only make it solid at the top, but also make sure that they put the pressure on the batsman with scoring shots. All right, Harmi, just in 30 seconds, um, you've given us the options for changes in the England 11. Um, I'm working out that you've, you've got the same top eight. Uh, so um, your, your 9, 10, 11, please. Do you got, um, you got Matt well, Fisher in there ahead of Saki Mahmood? Yeah, else? I've got the same, same top seven. I'd go Wolves or Overton because I'd bring Robinson back because I'll, I'll, I'd want to see Robinson play. I think he's, he looks as though he's fit now. So I'd bring Robinson back. Well, you're going Wokes then, aren't you? Because you said he got better throughout the test. Yeah, I probably would go Wokes. I'd probably go Wokes in this one with the potential of Overton in the last one for Wokes. I'd go Robinson in this one and the next one because they play him in two test matches. Leach players, hopefully he improves, keeps improving from what he's, he's done because he was, I thought he... he, he Control the, the the ball, uh, control the ball and attack very well, and let the bowlers rotate from the other end. And I'd let I'd give Matt Fisher his debut at Barbados. He's a bit taller. If the ball bounces a little bit, not quite as quick as as Mahmood, but I think there might be enough in this surface for for him to perform. And then I would bring Mahmood in for the Grenada Test match, and then that means the bowlers have had a game. We've seen what options we've got, and if we put runs on the board. Well, it's a lot easier bowling when you've got when you've got three fifty foot or three fifty on the board. A reminder that you can hear live an exclusive ball by ball commentary of the second test between the West Indies and England live right here on Talksport Two, and it all gets underway at the same time, two p.m. UK time on Wednesday. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two. Um, Harmi, let's just talk about England's women because um, they've lost three out of three. They're on uh, a losing run. They went down to South Africa in their last game, having scored 235 for nine. South Africa chased the runs down with uh, four balls to go. Opener Laura Wolfart making 77. And Marizan Cap having... She's one of the, the best all-rounders ever to play the, the game. So, uh, you know, she took, a, she took five for 45 with the new ball and bowling at the death and then made a vital 32 um, in the run chase. It's simple now for England in some ways... Um, they have to. They've got four games left, and they have to win them all. And even that doesn't guarantee them um, a place in the semi-finals. But at least they know exactly what they have to do. Um, so they've lost to Australia, West Indies, and South Africa. 
And they now have to be India, New Zealand, Pakistan and Bangladesh and probably have to win those games quite comfortably. So they lose to India and New Zealand in the next couple of games. That's it. Defending champions out, not even reaching the semi-finals. Yeah, it's hard. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one because you try and work out from so far away what's happened. But and especially in conditions which are you know, not too dissimilar to our own in, in England, in you know, New Zealand. Saying that Mount Monganui, I don't think Joffrey Archer was really thinking that that wicket was anywhere near as as colourful or as had anything in it like any of the wickets in England because that was flat when England were out there. The men were out there last time, probably about fifty odd overs. So, but it is you know similar similar in um, yeah, the wind and you get obviously the the weather is is very very similar to an English summer. So it's hard to put your finger on what's happened with with England, especially. Big thing on, you know, the, the, still the jury's out for me on the 100, for the men, but not for the women. I think the 100's been brilliant. So the exposure to more pressurised cricket, the exposure to a, a bigger crowds, it all seems to have gone in a favour for, for England going in preparation, going towards this World Cup. And um, it's hard to put your finger on what's happened because we've had some, you know, fantastic performances. Sophie Eccleston's bowled beautifully out there. Um, so far, it just seems that England haven't been able to get themselves over the line. And, you know, let's wait and see next week if we're talking about they're still in the tournament. They've won two games and they've gone well. And, you know, every every basically every game is a knockout game for them. But at this minute in time, it just seems that every coach not working. The batting department gets runs and the bowlers don't form or bats don't quite get enough runs and the bowlers bowl very, very well. But because they've, they've left themselves a bit short, that haven't been able to sort of defend a, a modest total. Have we got, have we produced in the hundred and will we produce in the next round of the hundred? So new faces for, for, for the women's game moving forward. So that'll be all in the minds of the selection panel, Claire Connor and everybody thinking of that, but hopefully they can get themselves out of a hole that they've dug themselves in at the minute. And inevitably some of the armchair critics look at the senior players and say, is it a tournament too far for... <laughs> Catherine Brunt and Anya Shrubsold. Does that annoy you when the when people start pointing fingers at the at the senior players with glorious records such as theirs? I mean, they're after the years and years and years of service. To, does it annoy you? When you I see think people it's so disrespectful. I think it's so disrespectful to point fingers at senior players, especially especially the two that were mentioned, Catherine Brunt and Anya Shrubsold, because they have been so good. You know, you, you talk about Broad and Anderson and things like that. They've, they've, they've not carried the team as much as what Broad and Anderson have, but they have been there for so long. And the development of the women's game has gone through the roof in the last, what, 12 months that I think it would be so disrespectful to, to lay blame at two people, you know, two individuals' doors who have, who have served the country so, so well, getting women and young girls especially into loving game of cricket. And the game of cricket for me is, it hasn't stood still in the men's game. It is going at a, a decent rate. But I think that the change in the, the way, the velocity that the, the, the women's game has improving and is around the country is getting bigger and better from the young, young participants, I think would be disrespectful to the, the senior players who, who undoubtedly will, at the end of this tournament, probably retire, walk away from the game. They should do that with 
head held high rather than head down off the back of a, an indifferent tournament. And finally, Harmi, when you walked off the field that uh, day on uh, March the 14th, 2004, with 7 for 12, were you aware of just how often you would be asked about it? <laughs> just how often you would you would talk about it? Did you walk off thinking, this is going to be a big part of my life for as long as I'm still breathing? I think it was. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, I was. I think I was. I think I did realise when I'm walking off, this was something special completely different in Brisbane, walking off at the same time were complete ends of the spectrum. But this was this was something that I probably didn't realise at the time. I knew it was big. I didn't realise at the time how big it was in the context of when we talk about re- reset, how much we were now going to be a force. I think we reset round about a year earlier when we were in... I think when we came back from the World Cups, Africa, um, the debacle of that, NASA went, Michael came in, took obviously Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, but the Caribbean was the one that really started it. And that was obviously the first test match. Me and Butch have been talking about it quite regular over here and what it was like. That test match was an amazing test match. Devin Smith got a fantastic 100. And then Hussein and Butcher, basically they were... It was like E and E were were waiting for them at the end of a day's play because they got battered by Fidel Edwards and Tino Best in the dark, and it just seemed that 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 team and this is something that this team can learn from that that team was was never never down and out, never beaten, and there was times during that Test series that we were just a little bit behind the eight ball, and then somehow managed to get to parity if not just ahead. And then the third innings of the game was where we always excelled and always we always sort of steamrolled in the West Indies. And it started in the Caribbean. It was amazing. Seven for 12, three fours in that 12 runs, all three boundaries. Thorpe catches one off. Literally, if he, if there was a, if he was an Antigua, Manners, if Thorpe was an Antigua and that ball was hit from Chris Gale, Thorpe takes it two hands, both legs off the floor, with downwind, he would have ended up over third man. He'd have gone. This, this, the, the wind would have took him. The sails would have took him. And then Chanderpaul bowled between his legs off the back. Daryl Harper was a good pal of mine for a, for a few years, and he gave some interesting LBW decisions. And then I think the last four wickets, three, four wickets, and talking to Trez about it, he's at first slip, and he just said, not like what it was in Brisbane. He just said, I thought the ball was coming to me every ball. He said for three, four overs, he said, every time you let go of that ball, he said, I just thought the ball was coming to my hands. Every single ball without feel. And I did. It was, I think the next four were caught either first slip or caught behind. Michael Vaughan setting seven slips. And that's who's seeing at short leg. And it was, uh, there were some pretty pictures from it. And it set us off on a, on a, on a great journey, which culminated culminated at uh, Trafalgar Square not nearly two years later winning the Ashes because you know the team evolved Butch, Sian, Thorpe who were key, starting us off this is my example of Broad and Anderson starting us off um, and obviously they fell by the wayside for the likes of Bell and, and Peterson to come in and, and, and just take the team to a whole new level but that was the first time that bowling attack of Hoggard, Harmison Jones, Flintoff and Giles had bowled together, and um, we never ever looked back. Sometimes it is worth remembering that uh, 
you don't just get lucky. Sometimes you hit the edge, sure. Sometimes you get a, an inside edge that trickles onto the stumps. But other times, and it happens very rarely, but this was one of them, where, as you said, uh, having picked up the first couple thereafter, you were in absolute total control of every single delivery. And that that most bowlers go through their lives, their entire careers, not knowing what that feels like. But you, it was like shooting fish in a barrel, wasn't it? You, you could take a wicket with every ball. It was, and the the, the beauty about it, and you know, I'd worked so hard on my fitness after coming back, not coming to Sri Lanka, coming back from Bangladesh. I'd worked so hard getting fit. Eight weeks for Newcastle United, doing the right things, eating the right things, making sure I was fit and strong. I was as fit as I've ever been. And I think the beauty about that whole instance, I think it was about 32, 33 degrees. It was red hot in Jamaica. And to bowl 11 and a half overs off, off the reel, keep going, I could have bowled. And, the, and the, the, the mindset and the way I was, it was effortless. I could have bowled 23. I could have bowled 24. I, I didn't feel as though there was any energy taken out of me whatsoever. I could have bowled all day at that. And sometimes in your career, you get days like that. And when you get them, you think, wow, this is amazing. Why can't I do this every game? But unfortunately... The human element of the uh, of, of of obviously of the bowling skill and the art doesn't always happen like that. And when it does happen, you you cherish it and you make the most of it because there's only a few other times that I felt as I was as good as that as I did in in Jamaica and as a unit. Um, and it was a fascinating series going forward because we kept doing that. I did it in the first innings at Trinidad. Simon got five wickets in the second innings, and then we went to we went to Barbados and had a struggle. They got 230. We were 124-8. And again, we got to we got a one-run lead. We had them 50 for five. Hoggard got a fantastic hat-trick. And Flintoff got five for... So if you look at the, the first three test matches, all the bowlers contributed into winning the series. And then we had five days off schedule before Antigua. And we won in Barbados for obviously in two and a half days. So we had seven and a half days celebrating our 3-0 victory. Um, and I don't think it was because of that, but it culminated in Brian Lara getting 400 in Antigua. So it was a, an unbelievable series. Enjoy golf, Army. Make sure you break 80. I will try, my friend. I will try. <laughs> <laughs> a reminder, you can hear live exclusive ball-by-ball commentary of the second test between the West Indies and England in Barbados starting on Wednesday. You've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with me, Neil Manthorpe, and former England fast bowler Steve Harmison. If you missed any of the show or you wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed or wherever else you get your podcasts. We'll be back at the same time next week to look back on that second test. But for now, this has been the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Well, thanks for downloading the Cricket Collective as part of the following on feed. If you ever have any ideas for guests or maybe a question or two for Steve Harmison or Neil Manthorpe, you can, of course, get in contact at cricket underscore TS. Get your questions in and the guys will answer the questions every Tuesday on the Cricket Collective. Also, if you got this far, please leave us a review. Nice one, if possible. Uh, and uh, subscribe as well. And uh, if you are already a subscriber, then feel free to tell your mates. And if you want more content uh, from the likes of Steve Harmison, then uh, check out his YouTube channel. Uh, just type in Steve Harmison in YouTube and you'll see uh, a whole host of uh, fresh content, big interviews, uh, reaction, 
team and series preview and reviews, uh, the whole lot there. So uh, if you got this far, thanks again for listening to the Cricket Collective and uh, we'll see you again soon. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 